Good morning. Um, we'll continue our time of worship with scripture reading. Today's passage comes from Luke chapter 19, verse 45 to 48. So if you'd like to turn with me there, uh, that's Luke chapter 19, verse 45 to 48. Verse 45. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. This is the word of the Lord. Um, if you've been with us, then you know that we're studying the Gospel of Luke. Um, we've been in it about 10 months, and uh, it's going to take us a total of 14 months to get through it. Um, but why do we do this? Well, we do this because we believe the Bible is true, right? We believe that Jesus is wonderful and worthy of even months and years in a single book that teaches about him. That's why we do this. And in my opinion, it's a pretty good way to spend an entire year, right? Just uh, talking about Jesus and learning from his very words in a gospel. And with that being said, uh, we're inching towards the end of Jesus' life, right? There's only four more chapters left to cover, and the passage that we are in is the match that lights the fire, right? You see, what Jesus does in today's passage, it sets off a chain of events that eventually leads him to his death. So what we're going to do here today, we're going to take a look at three things, all right? First, we're going to take a look at the Jerusalem temple. Secondly, we're going to take a look at righteous anger. And then lastly, we're going to take a look at the way back. So those are our three points today. So first, the temple. Now, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but right now in Israel, in Jerusalem, the temple doesn't exist. It's not there. Uh, it was actually destroyed by the Romans uh, 70 years after Jesus died because, um, you know, Israel was constantly trying to rise up and gain independence and Rome got tired of it. And so they finally destroyed the temple. Hasn't been raised ever since. But at this point in our passage, the temple is still in existence. And I think when you and I hear of a temple, like the Jerusalem temple, we, we think of it as any sort of religious building, right? Um, maybe the temples in Greece or Rome. Uh, there's many of them. If, if you go to Greece or Rome, you can see a, a temple dedicated to Zeus in Athens, in Olympia, in Corinth, in, in very every city that you go to, right? If, if the city had the money, they would always raise a temple to the gods. But the Jerusalem temple was different, you see? There was only one temple. You couldn't replicate it. You were forbidden to replicate it. Any other Jewish place of worship was called a synagogue. Why is that? Well, it's because if you read the Old Testament, then you know that the temple was God's house. That was God's house. Think about it this way. Let's say your friend wants to meet up with you. You go grab a coffee. You go grab a coffee at Starbucks. They get your order wrong. Someone's talking loud. 
right? You guys can't have a conversation. They start, you know, pulling away your chairs. You're meeting your friend, but you're not meeting your friend at her house, right? In the fullness of her hospitality, in the privacy of her home, you know, she could put on the music that she wants. She'll feed you. You'll have intimacy and connection. You'll be able to laugh out loud. You see, it's the same thing with God. God is everywhere. You can meet him wherever you want. But it's not the same thing as meeting him in his house. You guys maybe heard of the theological term omnipresent. Omni means all, right? So God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And that is true. But God said specifically in the Bible, he said, when it comes to the temple, when it comes to my house, I know some of y'all, y'all are very particular about your house, right? The mugs go here, the shoes go here, the soap goes here. God's like, my house is going to be like this. And one of the things that was very different about God's house was what? The degree of holiness. Some of you say cleanliness is holiness, right? Well, in God's house, it was absolutely holy. Now, if you're new to church, um, if you're new to the Christian faith, this, this concept of holiness may be foreign to you, right? Um, we don't really use the word holy today, do we? No, right? Um, so what do I mean by holiness? Well, the original Hebrew word for holy is set apart. Uh, it means different, special. And so let me, let me just uh, sort of show you how even though you and I, we don't use the word holy today, we live this principle out all the time. What do I mean by that? Well, when you listen to Mozart, right, when you listen to Sinatra, we recognize that these guys were special, don't we? We recognize that they're set apart. When you see a Van Gogh, when you see Michelangelo's David, you know that these are holy. There's even, you know, uh, red rope preventing the unholy, us, okay, from touching the holy, from sabotaging it, from staining it, from tainting it. There's a barrier always between the holy and the unholy. If you go to a sporting event, right, there are, there are security guards around the athletes, right? They have the locker room, which is the most holy place. When they come out of there, you're not allowed to touch them. Like the Old Testament, if you touch them, there are consequences. Right? Newborns are holy. You have to wash your hands. You got to sanitize. You got to check your hygiene before pre- people are, are you sick? Make sure you're not sick. Then you can come over, right? You see, in our world, we always make distinctions between the unholy and the holy. And we're always drawn to the holy. We'll pay lots of money to go see a painting. We'll pay lots of money to go see a concert, to go see a sporting event, to see the special, to see the miraculous. But there is always a problem. What's the problem? You can never get close, right? There's always a barrier. There's always the red rope. You wish, you know, I've got, you know, stuff signed by like Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Andrew Godala, you know. People gave me gifts, okay, I don't buy this stuff, right? <laughs> I wish I knew them though, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I wish they were like, hey, Rich, I wish I was friends with them. I, I wish I didn't have just things. I wish I actually wish it was really something. It's really not anything. It's the same with God's temple. God's nature is so good and so pure that no evil can be near him. 
uh, G.K. Chesterton was an English uh, author, and he wrote something that I think is actually the best illustration of God's holiness. This is what he wrote. He wrote, God is like the sun. The sun is pure energy. It is so bright and powerful that its energy radiates out through the solar system. It is good and absolutely necessary to be within the sun's energy. But the sun itself is so powerful that it's dangerous to get too close. So like the sun, God is letting his people know, hey, this is the protocol because if you come to me, I'm too powerful, I'm too holy, you'll be disintegrated like the sun. You know, there's a, there's a passage in the Old Testament where uh, the Israelites are carrying this ark, the holy ark where God dwells, and it's about to fall onto the dirt. And one of the Israelites, do you know what he does? He tries to prevent it from falling. Do you know what happens? He dies. Why? Because God says the dirt is holier than you. The dirt doesn't sin against me. That's how holy God is. And so when you wanted to approach God in his temple, if you wanted to come to his house, and you were guilty of, of any kind of evil or sin, maybe you blew up and had a fight with your wife, or maybe you were, you were you know, you know, uh, being hypocritical, you had to do a ritual. There were sacrifices that needed to be done. There was this whole sacrificial system. Now, I know that this seems foreign, man, the sacrificial system. But once again, it isn't. Spouses, what happens when you do something to offend each other? What happens? Your holiness radar goes up, right? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? And then what? A sacrificial system is instituted, right? You better do the dishes, <laughs> Do the laundry, clean the house, sleep on the couch. Those, that's the sacrificial system. It almost would be easier, actually, if I could just buy a pigeon and offer it to Jen as a sacrificial offering. It would be easier. And if that's how, friends, we relate with each other, what does reconciliation with a holy God look like? This brings us to the second point, righteous anger. In verse 45... It says that Jesus began to drive people out of the temple right when he entered into the temple. That's what it says. He steps in and right away he's driving out the um, animal merchants. Why is that significant? Well, uh, if you know the sort of layout of the temple, right when you step into the temple, the first thing you step into is called the court of the nations. Okay? It's the only place in the temple that non-Jews were allowed to be in and worship. You know what I'm saying? It's like when I go visit Jen at her uh, Intuit building, I get a visitor pass. You know what I'm saying? They're like, you're only allowed to be in the cafeteria. Don't go upstairs, right? And I try to go upstairs one time. They're like, sir, no, downstairs, right? So that's the court of the nations. It's the biggest section of the temple, and you had to go through it to get to the rest. And all the business operations of the temple were set up there. So when Jesus walked in, he immediately sees throngs of people buying and selling animals at dozens of stalls. Uh, the ancient historian Josephus, he tells us that in one Passover week, one year, 250,000 lambs were bought, sold, and sacrificed in the temple courts. That's a lot. And this was the place where the nations were supposed to find God through quiet reflection and prayer. You see? 
Now, I, I just want you to imagine this, what, what it must have been like. Um, if you ever go to like a farmer's market on a Saturday morning, you know how crazy it is. Um, like I've almost ran over a kid, you know, like you, you're bumping into people. People are spilling things. There's vendors everywhere. There's no line, no rules of traffic, right? People are sneaking their dogs in, you know what I'm saying? And you've got to be really careful. Now, imagine you're having a religious worship service in the middle of a Saturday morning farmer's market. It would be so wild, it would be so crazy, it would be so clamorous that the only kind of worship you could do in a situation like that is buy an animal, offer, offer the sacrifice, get in and get out, right? That's the most you could do. You're not going to have an intimate time of sharing with your friends. You're not going to have an intimate time of reflection with God and song and word. You're going to go in and you're going to go out. And so Jesus' reaction to this kind of temple worship in his house is what? He starts throwing the furniture everywhere. He says, It is written, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. That word den is actually the word cave, and in those days, robbers would hide out in caves. So Jesus is calling these temple merchants thieves. But why? Are they ripping people off who've come a long way? You know, kind of like when you go to Disneyland and they're like $5 for a bottle of water. You're like, come on, bro. (laughs) Can I just sneak this in? No, sir, you can't. You just drink it all there. (laughs) Some commentators think so. They think they're ripping people off. That's That's what Jesus is angry. These poor people are traveling long ways for this pilgrimage. But I think Jesus is talking about a different kind of thievery. I don't think Jesus is saying stop price gouging people. I don't think that's what he's saying. Jesus is essentially saying, you're robbing my house of prayer, right? It's a figurative stealing. You see, the temple had become a ritual of mere outward appearances. Once again, that theme, outward appearances. The show of meeting with God through acts of sacrifice, but no inner spiritual communion. And this is what made Jesus so angry. And and Luke does not let us off the hook, right? You you think about that that, that scene with the tax collector and the Pharisee at the temple. The Pharisee is like, God, man, I'm so thankful I'm not like this tax collector. I tithe, I serve, all this and that. The tax collector, he can't even lift up his face. And he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that tax collector went home righteous. He went home justified, right? Luke is trying to get through the outward appearances and he is trying, he's trying to reach your heart. Jesus is echoing Hosea chapter 6 right here. What does it say? Jesus, uh, Hosea says, or God says in Hosea, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. Knowledge of me, knowing me, you know, rather than just these burnt offerings. That's the theme of Luke's gospel. So church, I want to challenge you today. Is there a real connection with God when you come to church? Is there a real spiritual connection when you pray or worship? I'm guilty. I'm guilty of it, man, so many times, right? You know, pray for the food. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the food. Amen, right? Is that real? No, God doesn't care about that. He wants a real prayer. Throughout the week, 
Is there a spiritual reality present in your life that others can see? Not for the sake of show, but it's sincere. Is it the very life force that grounds you and captivates you and provokes you and prods you and gives you meaning and joy again and again? You know? I'll be honest, you know, I just had a kid. I just had a kid. And people always ask me, how is it? And I don't know why, but I feel like I have to have a good answer for that. (laughs) And so I thought about a good answer, and I think it's a good answer. Maybe it's not. You can tell me afterwards. I say, it's not the worst thing, and it's not everything, right? I think sometimes we look for certain stages and things in our life, and we think that's the thing, right, that's going to give me grounding, that's going to give me joy again, motivation again, captivation again, provocation. And I'll tell you this right now, changing diapers, wiping a dirty butt, it doesn't ground me, (laughs) okay? But knowing that Jesus has a purpose to raise this child up for the glory of his name to us, do you know? Or is your life like, like this temple that we see in our passage, busy but no prayer? Lots of things to do. Your, your schedule's packed. You feel busy. You're tired. You feel like you're always behind. It's never enough. But there's still no peace. No, no fellowship with the Spirit. You see, a real relationship with Jesus, it's going to capture your emotions. You know? It's going to get you excited about life again. Because you realize that you are part of a grand redemptive purpose that he has saved you and he's going to use your brokenness and the sin in your life to bring about things that we long for, that we see in movies. Powerful, redemptive, transformative things in our lives. You see, being a Christian is not just about believing the right thing, doing the right thing, and being a nice person. As Hosea says, it's about steadfast love. Right? Do you love God? There's spiritual power in it. But how how do we do this? You know, it's so hard, right, to capture the spiritual power, the sincere, heartfelt love for God. It's impossible. It's impossible, right? Jesus even said it himself. He said to the disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You and I can't do it on our own, right? Willpower is not enough. Some of y'all are brilliant. Some of y'all are so accomplished. But you cannot accomplish the presence of God's spirit in your life. That's one thing only God can do. This brings us to the last point, the way back. So uh, today for you and me to meet God in his house, praise God that we don't have to trek thousands of miles to Jerusalem anymore, right? Why is that? Well, in John's account of this temple cleansing passage, the Jews said to Jesus, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. In other words, if the temple was the place where people can meet God in his house, in his full power, in his full love and presence, then Jesus is saying, I am the greater temple. He literally says this in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Now think about that. 
what is the temple for you? Like, man, what's, what's, if, if you could think like, man, the most just desired wish, what would that be? Maybe if you're single and you're looking to be, get married, maybe marriage is it. Maybe if you're married and you're looking for kids, maybe it's kids. Maybe if you have kids and you want them to be successful, those are your versions of the temple. And Jesus is saying, something greater than that is here. He's saying, I'm the fullness of God's presence, of God's love, of all your desires. Now, if this is true, if, if Jesus is the temple of God, how is it possible that people are eating with Jesus, they're touching Jesus, they're laughing with Jesus without any barrier between the unholy and holy? Don't you think that's kind of weird? Without any sacrificial offering for their uh, lapses and unfaithfulness? Because the old sacrificial system was costly. People had to spend exorbitant amounts of money exorbitant amounts of time for these animal sacrifices for their sins. But even with that, there was still this separation between God and his people. Actually, only the high priest, only one person, the high priest could go back to this room called the Holy of Holies. And it was on once a year, on the Day of Atonement, where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was a wooden chest covered in pure gold with a cover, a lid called the Mercy Seat, and there was this large curtain that separated that room from the rest of the people. So even when people would offer sacrifices, they couldn't even go in. And there was a bell attached to the high priest just in case he didn't do the rituals for his own sin and he died. They would grab the rope and they would drag him out <laughs> if he died. It was serious business. That was as close as anyone ever got to the sheer unfiltered presence of God, but Jesus says something is greater is here. Let me close with this. At the end of Luke's gospel, when Jesus died on the cross, it says this. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Right? In other words, Jesus is saying, my life is going to be that final offering. My life is going to be that final sacrifice. After my death, there's going to be no barriers, no more red rope, no more guilt offerings, no more curtains between me and you. Amazing. All that is required of us is faith in this amazing act of grace. All you got to do is believe. And then Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says something a little bit more. He says, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Even the Spirit of truth, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I in you and you in me, that we may become perfectly one. This is an incredible reality the most worthy, righteous, loving, powerful person in the entire universe has hitched himself to you forever. doesn't matter what anyone says. 
there is no amount of sacrifice or faithfulness or righteous living or trying to work your way back into God's good grace that could hold a candle to the perfect, spotless, righteous death of Jesus Christ for your sins. But it gets better. Not only can we worship God freely, fully reconciled without guilt or condemnation, not only is the curtain torn, but Jesus says through the Apostle Paul, you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. Even when you don't feel it. Friends, could there be any greater news than that? That when you're in a rough patch, maybe your family's going through a difficult season, maybe you're fighting with your family, God says, I am in this place. And this place is holy because I love you. What you and I need is not more rituals, but something greater, the power of an inner spiritual revival brought about by Jesus through the force of of his spirit. Not just when we become a Christian. You need it every single day, don't you? Revival every single day. So friends, I'm here to remind you of this gospel truth. I'm here to remind you of this gospel reality, this gospel hope, this gospel power, because I know that's what you and I need. We need gospel power. God is not just inviting you here to church. He is going to take up resident in your heart. Not because you deserve it, not because we've earned it, or because we've been good little Christians, but purely by Jesus' grace. That's how it's always been. That's how it always is. That's how it's always going to be. So my job as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, is to tell you that you can rest. You can rest that your faith is not up to you. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. You don't have to prove anything to me. You don't have to prove anything to God. You're freed because you're forgiven. And you can simply come and worship God for what he's done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we don't have to jump through hoops constantly to get on your good side. We're thankful that Jesus has once and for all paid the price for our friendship. He has once and for all been the, the perfect friend. He has reconciled us to God. And I pray for every single person in this room, whether it's their first time or they've been coming out since we've planted, because we all need spiritual revival every single day every single week and you are pleased to give it to us one day at a time one week at a time so would you fill our hearts would you take up residence inside our souls would you unite us would you unite this church as your temple filled with your spirit we pray this in Jesus name amen